Now, if you were here last weekend, we talked about this principle. As Christians, when we can see as God sees, we're much more likely to do as God says. In other words, if we can begin to get God's perspective on life, it's not, it, it clicks. It's like the light comes on. Oh, yeah, now it makes sense. But we've got to be able to see as God sees. We've got to be able to begin to think as God thinks. And the way we do that, we talked about, is by just saturating our mind with the Word of God. We just immerse ourselves in the written Word of God. It is God's rule book for life. And as we're studying God's, see, we pick up the principles, the precepts, the truths of God. We begin to see as God sees. And when that happens as Christians, we're much more likely to do as God says. Now, the big question that kind of blew up our inbox here at Hope this week is this. What if I'm a Christian and I'm now beginning to study God's word? I'm really saturating my mind with God's word. I'm learning how he sees life. I'm learning his principles, his precepts and truths. But in the process of learning these things, I'm realizing that I've been coloring outside the lines, right? I haven't been following God's rules. I haven't been living up to his expectations in my life. In fact, there's several things that I've already blown. What do I do about that? And we actually gave a couple of examples last week where in culture, these things just don't seem to make any sense. For example, no sex until your marriage. Uh, to your married. That doesn't, you know, that's not something that we even think is a reality in culture anymore. It's like, well, that probably worked in the first century. That's not relevant today, right? And uh, in fact, today, it's just be safe. If you're safe, you're okay. And, uh, but God says, nope, when I created sex, I created it uh, for a man and a woman in a, in a marriage relationship. Well, what do, you, what do you do if you've already lost your virginity? I mean, you can't unring that bell, right? Or what if you, you, know, you find out there's really only a couple of reasons for a Christian that God says it's okay to get divorced and remarry. And you're like on your fifth marriage. And, and you come across those two things like, man, I don't think I've ever had those reasons to get you know, divorced. and re What do you do about that? You can't unring that bell. So let me just, let me just uh, help you out a little bit this morning. First of all, you just got, at some point, you've just got to draw the line in the sand. And you have to claim God's grace. And you just say, God, listen, <laughs> up to this point, I didn't understand this was your perspective. I didn't understand, God, this is how you see life, and this is why in my, it's in my best interest to do what you've asked me to do. I can't go back and undo the past, God, but now that I see as you see, my desire is to do as you say. And then you move forward. You move forward in obedience to the life that God has called you to. And I got to tell you, God will honor that. So you can't do anything about your past, but you have everything to say about your future and how you live it. And I would just tell you here, as a young adult, it is a wonderful thing to be able to get married and to have done it God's way. But you can't always do that. So you got to draw the line in the sand and say, from here on, here on out, I'm going to do it God's way. In fact, let's put this principle up. And I want us to say this together. It's never too late to start doing what's right. Let's say that together. Ready? It's never too late to start doing what's right. You can't go back and change your past. But I'll tell you what God can do. He can take your past and turn it into an incredibly beautiful story but you've got to work with them. Now, you know, we talked about one of those principles that makes no sense in our culture whatsoever is that you don't have sex till you get married. Well, Laura and I, see, we didn't have an excuse because we grew up in a church where that was taught. We grew up in Christian homes where that was taught. And so we decided that we, we were going to save ourselves for marriage. And we did. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you. As it got closer to getting married, me and Jesus, we, we had to have some talks. And uh, they went basically like this. Jesus... Don't you dare come back now. <laughs> yeah. You've waited 2,000 years. You can, you can wait another year. Don't. I've held up my end of the bargain. Work with me, Jesus, right? And so by the time I got married at 22, I'm telling you, I was ready. 
I was ready to go. And uh, second day of our honeymoon, our honeymoon, we were at the Newport Beach Marriott in uh, Southern California, Orange County. And by the second day of our honeymoon, I can remember Laura standing out on the balconies. Now, she wasn't saying this verbally, but her face said this, I need a break. You come anywhere near me. I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump. It's over. Now, I'm thinking we're only up two floors. Worst case scenario, she breaks her ankle. How is she going to get away then? See, so it's all, it's all about it's all about perspective. But by my honeymoon, I was convinced that sexual intimacy was the greatest thing God ever created. And there is something to this. I mean, there's a lot of great things in life that we've experienced, but we don't really remember the first time we experienced those things. I love college football. And uh, a couple of weeks, you'll see that I'm a little grumpier on Saturday because everybody that's got a life is going to college football games, right? But I'm here with you people. And uh, <laughs> I'm not happy about that. And I've been literally to hundreds of college football games in my lifetime. I can't remember the first college football game I went to. I love butter pecan ice cream. And I've had, I've had thousands of cones of butter pecan ice cream in my life. I can't remember the first time I had a cone of butter pecan ice cream, but I promise you this, I remember the first time I had sex. And it's because, and we all do, and it's because that's the way God created it. He created it to be unique. He created it to be special. He said it is worth waiting for. And so I just assumed because it was so incredible, it would always be that way. I mean, in my mind, are you kidding me? There's nothing that could ever come between a couple and sexual intimacy. But you know what? Laura and I discovered what every couple eventually discovers. Before you know it, we get busy. Before you know it, we fill our schedules with all kinds of stuff. And when we, when we get busy, it is amazing what happens to our relationships. It's amazing what happens to intimacy. Because this is what happens. As you get busy, you begin to give each other the leftovers. You know, we give our spouse leftover time, leftover energy, leftover conversation. And it's because busyness has, it just has the capacity to pull our lives in so many different directions. And as a result, busyness destroys intimacy. Now, I don't need to spend a lot of time this weekend trying to convince you of that. We could all get up and tell a story of how that's been true in our lives, how that's been true in a relationship. But I do want to spend a few minutes explaining why that's the case. And this, this is why it's the case. When you're involved with someone, when you have an intimate relationship with someone, there are several things that are true. First of all, you feel like you're a priority in, in their life, and they feel like that they're a priority in your life. Second, you feel important to that person, that person feels important to you. When, when there's intimacy, there's this sense of unrushed time. Fourth, there's time to communicate. You give them your undivided attention. They give you your undivided their undivided attention. And, and these are just things that are found in an intimate relationship. But when we get busy, all of a sudden our schedule is full. This is what happens. There's, there's no way to make that other person feel like a priority. There's no way to communicate so that that other individual feels like they have your undivided attention. There's no such thing as unrushed, leisurely time. And as a result, our relationships suffer. And right now, some of you are thinking, yeah, Mike, tell me something I don't know. I mean, this is the tension. This is the, the dynamic. This is the reality that we live in every day. But this is what I want you to see this weekend. Not only is this true horizontally in our earthly relationships, this is also true vertically in our relationship with God. And so what we're going to learn this weekend and next, because uh, there's no way I can get this done in one weekend, okay? So this weekend, we're going to identify what the problem is. Next weekend, we're going to talk about what is God's answer? How do we actually resolve this? So you're going to have to be here for two weeks, right? 
But this is what we're going to talk about. If we can get intimacy corrected this way in our relationship with God, it is going to affect, it's going to impact all of our horizontal relationships. I mean, every married couple knows what happens in the physical intimacy part of life when you get too busy. It either becomes one non-existent or it becomes an activity. And it's because we just don't have the energy, the emotional energy to even get moving in that direction. By the way, all the singles and college kids are thinking, I am so sure. See, that's the, that's the way I was too, right? But you gotta understand, that's what happens in marriage. And it's because the busyness of life just undercuts the intimacy of our earthly relationships. Well, you gotta understand, the very same thing is true when it comes to our relationship with God. Because in order for us to have this intimate relationship with God, that he's given us the opportunity to have, it requires, first of all, we make him a priority. It requires that we carve out some time in our schedule just for him. It requires that we, we give him our undivided attention. There's this sense, God, it's just you and me, and nothing else is gonna come between us here. But if we don't get a handle on our business, I promise you, intimacy, it will go away. It'll go away. Not just in our relationship with God, It'll go away in our relationships with the people that God has placed around us. Now, there's a great story in the Bible that talks about this. If you have a Bible, Luke chapter 10, it's a pretty familiar story. If you don't have your Bible, we'll put the verses up on the side screen. Uh, if you want to download the Get Hope app onto your smartphone, uh, you can go to the message this weekend. You'll find all the verses, a place you can take notes, later email it to yourself. So that's helpful. Luke chapter 10 it's a story about three people. There's Mary, there's Martha, these ladies, they're sisters. They also have a brother. Anybody know who, his, who their brother is? Lazarus. I hear a few people, a couple of people went to Sunday school. So we got Mary, we got Martha, and we got Lazarus. And they live in this little, this little village called Bethany. And these three, they're very good friends with Jesus. We're not really sure how the relationship developed, but we know it's not just a casual acquaintance. If you read the Gospels, you find out that they have a very close, unique relationship. So one day, Jesus, he's traveling with the disciples. He makes his way up through Bethany, and we don't know if it's a few of the disciples or all of the disciples. But while they're going through Bethany, they decide to drop in on, on Mary and Martha and Lazarus and hang out for a while. So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, you may not pick it up in the verse, but this is a major New Testament awkward moment. Okay, let me kind of set the scene here. Jesus and some of the disciples, maybe all of the disciples, they show up at the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's kind of a big deal. I mean, when Jesus comes to your house, you're probably not going to give him just a glass of water and some top ramen noodles. You're not going to do that, right? So Martha, she immediately does what any good hostess does. She goes into action. She's going to prepare Jesus a good meal. Meanwhile, Mary, who I take it just has a totally different personality, she probably brings Jesus into the family room, gives him the best seat. She drops down, just sits on the floor. She's going to hang out for a while with Jesus. She doesn't have a care in the world. Jesus, he begins to talk. He begins to teach. She's probably taking notes. This is a rare moment. She has the guy who is now known throughout Palestine as the miracle worker sitting in her living room. She's not going to miss this opportunity. But verse 40 says that back in the kitchen, Martha was distracted by all the preparations 
that had to be made. Now understand, it wasn't wrong that Martha was trying to be a good hostess. It certainly wasn't wrong that she was trying to prepare a good meal for Jesus. He, he rarely had one. But somewhere in this process, she crossed the line, and she was no longer simply doing this for Jesus. Somehow she crossed the line, and all of a sudden, Martha is doing this for Martha. And it says in verse 40 that she became distracted. Look at it. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And so there's kind of this awkward moment going on here. And, and, and Martha, she, she kind of snaps, and she lets Jesus have it. And when you think about it, she's, she's kind of accusing Jesus of doing something wrong. I mean, and that doesn't seem very smart. I don't know that it's a good idea to ever accuse Jesus of wrongdoing, right? And the disciples are sitting there, and, and they're like, oh, this is very uncomfortable. And I can tell you what's going on in their minds. Hmm, I wonder how this is going to play out. Is Martha going to be struck by a bolt of lightning? Is she going to burst into flames? Are worms going to eat her from the inside out? What's going to happen? See, because they've been following Jesus around for years, and they've never seen anybody that was actually in a relationship with Jesus talk to him this way. But this is what's so interesting about this scenario. Jesus is the guest. The preparation that Martha is going through supposedly is for him, but now somehow Jesus is part of the problem because he will not make Mary pull her share of the work. Anything like that ever happen in your home? Dads, you know, you go to work, you work your fingers to the bone because you want your kids to go to the good school, live in a good neighborhood. You want your wife to be able to drive a great car, and then you come home, and somebody left their bike in the driveway, and you walk in. What is wrong with this family? I'm killing myself trying to provide for you. I work, work, work. There's no sense of appreciation. I get nothing in return. And your six-year-old's thinking, well, I guess I could move out. I mean, I don't know what else to do, Dad. You know, this really isn't working out, evidently, but... This happened to me about a year ago. I decided last September that, um, you know, birthdays are big deals to Laura. And so I decided I was going to do something I had never done. I was going to throw Laura a surprise birthday party. Now, I'm gonna, I've met some of you men. I am not the Martha Stewart that some of you guys are. So this, this is not something that comes natural for me. So I said, I'm going to go the easy way out. i got some friends who own a restaurant. I'll cater from them. Uh, there's a DJ here at the church. I'm going to get him to come and, and set up, and, and we'll just have some dancing outside because, let's be honest, nothing's funnier in the world than white people trying to dance. I mean, that's, you just got to video that and hang out and watch that for a while. And uh, so I, I, somehow on Friday, because i got about 30 people coming, i got to get the house clean without Laura knowing what's going on because that's our day off. And, and then that morning, I get back from the gym, and I think, man, I, I probably need to clean the garage because the caterer is going to need a staging area, and they're going to probably want to set up a, so I'll clean the garage. So I get home, and Laura says, well, what are you going to do today? Oh, I just got a few things to do today. I said, but right now, I'm going to go clean the garage. And so I go, and I back her car out, and then I, I hop into my Ford F-150 and put it in reverse, and because I'm thinking about all the things I need to do, I plow right into her car. I mean, I mean thousands. I plow. I mean, I just... The thousands of dollars worth of damage, enough said, right? And now my heart's just pounding because <laughs> I am so stressed because I also have to preach on the weekend, and Friday's kind of really my big prep day at home, and so I walk in, and Laura, she doesn't have a care in the world. She's on her computer. She's just as content as she can be, and I walk in. I sit down. I want you to know something. I am throwing a surprise birthday party for you tonight. You need to know that. And I just rammed into your car because I'm stressed out and I've got to get the house clean and I've got to get the lights hung and I just want you to know, give me a little space today because it's for you, right? You know? 
And she's like, thank you, you know? <laughs> but see, what happened to Martha, it happens to all of us. She got so distracted by the things she needed to do. She's doing it for Jesus, right? What happens? When she got distracted, she lost perspective. And what she was initially doing for Jesus, now she's doing for Martha. And she's not getting everything done. She feels like she needs to get done. And so she storms into the room, interrupts Jesus while he's teaching, and said, would you do something about my lazy, good-for-nothing sister? Now, what's going on with Martha? Busyness caused her to get distracted. By the way, th this is what distracted means. It means to lose track of, to get off course. And the word never stands alone. See, when you're distracted, you're distracted from something. And, and what's happened to Martha in this story, it happens to us all the time. She starts off on track. She's moving in the right direction. But then somewhere in the process, she lost perspective of what, what, what was going on, what reality was, and she got distracted. And Jesus, it's interesting, his response to Martha, it is so full of insight. I'm telling you, if we, could just, if we could just learn from his response, it would begin to free us up from the busyness that many of us struggle with. Look what he says in verse 41. Martha, Martha. See, this is how I play it out in my mind. Martha's standing there. Her hands are on her hips. Her, her apron's dirty. She's got flour on her face, sweat. You know, she's... And I just see Jesus getting up and walking over and putting his arm around her and saying, Martha, Martha, Martha. Look what he says. You are worried and upset. The, the Greek word is troubled. You are troubled about many things, but only one thing is needed. Basically, Jesus is saying this. You know what, Martha? I've been watching you. You've been getting all over the kitchen. I've kind of observed you there. And, and it's, it's obvious that, that you're caught up in so many things. And, and Martha, you've convinced yourself that the things you're doing are important. In fact, you've convinced yourself that what you're doing is more important than what I'm doing. And that's why you stormed in here and, you know, let's be honest, Martha, you stopped the one thing that actually needs to be happening and you did it because, Martha, let's, let's get to the root of the problem. It's about you, you know. You wanted to draw attention to you and all the many things you feel like need to get done that you cannot get done. But then Jesus says this, Martha, you only need one thing. If you ever watch City Slickers, remember Curly? Just one thing, if you can figure out the one thing, right? That's what Jesus is saying to Martha. And he's saying, the one thing you do need, the one thing that should be a priority for you, the one thing that could change your entire world, Martha, somehow you've lost perspective, you've lost sight of that. And then he says this, you need, Martha, you need the very thing that your sister Mary has chosen. And the disciples are going, wow, that had to hurt. That had to hurt, right, you know? Look at what Jesus said in verse 42. Mary has chosen what is better. You know what better means? Jesus is, is basically saying this. Martha, there's a lot of things going on here today that are important, but there's something that's most important. Martha, you preparing dinner for us, that's important. Setting the table, that's important. The flowers you brought in, yeah, that's a special touch. But Mary, on the other hand, she's been able to pick out on the one thing that's actually the best thing. Verse 42, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. I think that this is what Jesus is saying, and, and this is where busyness tricks us. 
I think Jesus is saying, hey, Martha, if somebody ran into you tomorrow and, and, and asked you, what did you do while Jesus was at the house? Your answer would be, I cooked, I cleaned, I swept, I mopped, I washed. And Martha, if they were to ask you, what did you get out of this? You would have to say, you know, at the end of the day, really nothing. And maybe Jesus would say, in other words, Martha, you invested all of your time, you invested all of your energy, all of your emotion in something that really doesn't matter in the big scheme of things. But on the other hand, if somebody were to run into Mary 24 hours from now and ask her what happened yesterday at the house, her response would be, oh, the coolest thing happened. Jesus stopped by. And he spent some time with us, and you would not believe what he taught us and what I heard him say. It can never be taken away from me. Now, I, I've left a little extra time this weekend for some application because I believe there, there's so much truth in here for us. And, and, I'm, and, and just so you know, these applications are, are mainly for me. In fact, you know, after I preached this message at 4.15, I felt like I needed to go listen to it because I so need this because this, this is just my life lately. How do I deal with the busyness in my life without leaving people in the wake? because sometimes I feel like that's become the reality. So I wanna give you three observations that really sum up this story. You decide that they apply to you or not. Here's the first one. We convince ourselves that everything we're doing is necessary, but there's often something below the surface that drives us. In other words, if I were to stop you in the busyness of your day and say, hey, why are you doing what you're doing? You would respond, I'm doing it because it's the most important thing to be done at this moment. But if we're honest, the truth is there's usually something below the surface that's just driving our busyness. And, and if we can, until we can understand what that is and until we can get a handle on it, we're never going to be able to deal with the busyness that's driving our lives. What's driving our activity? What's driving our desire and this sense of we've got to be busy? Uh, let me give you some examples. These are things I, I've said or thought, maybe, maybe, maybe they relate to you too. Here's the first one. You ever said this? If I don't work as hard as I can, I'll never make it in life. You ever had that kind of feeling? You ever thought something like that? Here's another one. If I don't do as much as I can, I'm going to get left behind. Everybody else is going to advance up the ladder. Everybody else is going to be promoted, but I'm going to get left behind. I better get busy. Here's one. If I don't do as much as I can, I might end up poor. Do you know, we have a lot of people in this church. We have a lot of people in America. We are petrified of being poor. And it's interesting, you know, because if you grew up poor, I think it's a natural fear because there's almost something inside of you that says, well, well, I don't want to experience that again. See, I grew up poor. A lot of you know what it is it's like to grow up poor. And not only that, when Laura and I got married, we were very, very poor. You know, for the first couple of years of marriage, our, our combined income was $1,400 a month before taxes. And we figured out how to buy a house because Laura's dad flipped real estate and we were, he was able to get us in. I don't know how. We never qualified. I never signed anything, but we, got the, we, we bought this house. The first two years we were married, we slept on twin mattresses that we borrowed from Lauren's parents in the living room. We didn't even bother to go to the bedroom. Why even go in there? Let's just sleep in here in the living room. I mean, we, we, we had a Vega that we paid $100 for. Somebody, Vega, what's that? Uh, you, you, don't, you just need to go Google it. I mean, it's, it's incredible. 
It was a car with an aluminum block, and every time we drove it, the, the, the steam and smoke would come up through the vents into the car, and, and it, was just, it was just an adventure every day. Will we get from point A to point B? I know what it's like to be poor. Many of you know what it's like to be poor, and we're petrified of being poor again. So we've got to make sure we keep working because we can't end up poor. But here's the reality. When is enough? When is there ever any guarantee that you're not going to end up poor. I can't tell you how many people are sitting here right now who at one time in their life, life was good. And they had, the money, they had all the money you could possibly spend. But you know what? You know, there's a proverb that says that money is like, you know, it's like, it's like it just sprouts wings and flies away like an eagle. You know, you just, you never know. When, when do you ever get in bed if you're pursuing money? I, I don't want to be poor. When do you ever get in bed and say, hey, honey, relax. We've got enough. You don't ever say that. Here's another one. If I don't do as much as I can, I might not be accepted at work. People may look at me and think I'm lazy or, or, or I'm unmotivated. Now, here's a big one. If I don't do as much as I can, I might disappoint. You go ahead and fill in the blank. I might disappoint my parents. I might disappoint my spouse. If I don't do as much as I can, I may disappoint my children or my boss or my coworker. Here's another one. If I don't do as much as I can for my children, other parents may think that I don't love my children as much as they love their children. You ever feel like you gotta keep up because this is what society expects? I just gotta do it, we gotta be busy. Everybody else is busy. Here's a big one. If I don't do it, no one else will do it right. I've gotta do it. I'm the only one who can do it right. Do any of those things hit a nerve? I mean, are those kinds of thoughts possibly the fear behind a lot of your activity in business? And your wife wants you to come home early. And the kids are at a season of life where they really need you, but you're afraid of what might happen back at the office. You're, you're kind of afraid of what people will think. But I'm telling you, if those kinds of things drive your business, you will not make any progress until you identify it. This is Martha's problem. There's something in her that's driving her busyness, and it's not the fact that Jesus is in the house because eventually she turns on him and criticizes him. There's something in her that drove her there. And I gotta tell you, there's something in me that sometimes drives me there, and there's something in you that sometimes drives you there. But until we can get a handle on it and identify what it is, it will be almost impossible to bring our level of busyness to the point where we can begin to enjoy and invest in an intimate relationship with God and enjoy and invest in an intimate relationship with the, with the people that God has placed in our lives. Here's the second one. When we're busy, activity takes priority over people. Have you realized that? It takes priority over people. And most of the time our thinking is, We'll catch up with all of that later. And then one day, the kids are gone, the wife's lost interest, and it's like, I can't pull it back together. Busyness takes priority over people. And this, I gotta tell you, this is where God has been so working in my life. I mean, my son who lives with me right now because he sold his house and he won't, his house won't be finished until November, he called me this week just to ask me a simple question. And I was so rude and I was so short that the minute I hung up, I had to call him back and apologize. I'm like, what is more important than the question he's asking me right now? Basically, I said, talk to your mom. Don't you understand what I've got going on this week? 
We do that all the time, you know. We even do it with people we can't see. I mean, my, my uncle, who was my closest uncle, he's my youngest uh, uncle, and he was, my, he was kind of the big brother I didn't have. In fact, when, we, when I was younger, he, he convinced me that we were going to go to Wyoming and be cowboys. And that's why at the age of five and six, I became a Dallas Cowboy fan. I thought I might as well start now because I'm going to be a cowboy. <laughs> then he met some woman and married her, and she screwed up everything. But anyway, she's, <laughs> I mean, she is a good aunt. But he had a massive heart attack on Monday. They found him on the front porch unconscious. They don't know how long he was out. He's been in a coma all week, and we, as a family, we've been dealing with that and over in Durham. And uh, So Tuesday morning, I got it really early, and it's just been one of those weeks. There was one morning this week I was in bed past 3.30. It's just been one of those weeks. You just get up, you got work to do, you, just, you can't go back to sleep, just work, 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 work. So Tuesday, I told you I needed this. I'm driving down 64 through Apex, and I'm, I'm, it's early, and I'm going to call my mom. I know she'll be up because I want to get an update. Did anything happen during the night with my uncle? So, you know, I, I've got one of those trucks. It will talk to you. It's a Ford. You know, it will talk to you. And there's a lady living in my truck somewhere. Cannot find her. I've looked. She's in there, but she will answer my questions. And so I'm driving, and I push a button, and I say, call mom at home. And uh, she's, I don't know, maybe I woke her up, but she responds, uh, there is no number for mom at home. Well, she's a dog-faced liar, because there is. I know that. And now she's just, she's just, you know, she's just jerking me around, right? So she says, would you like me to call mom on other? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> would you like me to call mom on other? Yes. Would you like me to call mom on other? And I blew. I just snapped like, what is wrong with you? Why are you in my truck? Why did they sell you to me? You're stupid. You're useless. And I'm talking, and I look, and there's a little lady in the car beside me just kind of like, oh, what poor, poor man. He's losing it right there on the road, you know. And See, that kind of tension comes from busyness. Let me tell you something. You can look at the tension in mine and Laura's relationship as it rises and falls, and I promise you, there is a direct correlation between the tension in our relationship and the busyness in our schedule. I mean, when we get super busy, the tension rises between us, and without ever meaning to, we put activity ahead of relationships and people. But I will tell you this. My, my, my son and my daughter-in-law moved in with my three grandkids, and my first is like, I'm, I'm sucking my thumb. I'm in the fetal position. Like, where's my refuge and all that? I got to teach something. This is what God taught me this week. What a great opportunity we have. For four months, I get to invest in my grandchildren. For four months, I get to hear them say, good morning, Papa. I get to see them go to bed at night. You know, I go to bed early, like 9 o'clock. They came home at like 9.15 last night. And they all came into the bedroom. I'm laying there watching the NFL game, Cowboy game. And they're, good night, Papa, kiss me and hug me. Good night, Papa, kiss me. I mean, really? Is anything possibly better than that? But see, if, 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 you, if you can't keep perspective... You get distracted. Third, much of what we do is measurable in the short run, but it's neither measurable nor memorable in the long run. I mean, if I stopped you in the middle of your day and said, hey, why are you doing this? So you could tell me why it's important right now, but let's be honest, often in the long run, it's neither measurable, doesn't really amount to much, nor is it memorable. What do I mean by memorable? Well, if, if, if I were to ask you what you did last week, you could tell me a couple of big things that you did last week. You couldn't tell me seven days worth of stuff that you did last week. I mean, most of the time, I can't remember what I did yesterday. So really, really, it's hard to think about how much of what I actually did yesterday even amounted to anything. 
However, when you're doing it in the moment, it seems like the most important thing in the world. That's the trap that Martha fell into. Because, see, the day after this event with Jesus, oh, Mary, she could still pull from all the nuggets of truth that, that Jesus taught. But Martha, what she got left with, well, first of all, you know, frustration. Second, laying in bed at night wondering, did I hurt Jesus' feelings? And third, praying that there really is eternal security. Like, am I out? Am I ever going to get back in? This is what she's got to deal with. So let me just ask you this question. Is the stuff that keeps you busy really measurable in the long run, or is it just a lot of stuff? Is it memorable? Is it really an investment in the things that count? I had uh, dinner this week with some young couples at Hope, and I'm just sitting there observing the conversation because basically they're talking about how busy life is with their children. And this is what I concluded. For you young families, this is your life. You get your kids up on Monday, you get them to school. You pick them up after school. You take them to soccer practice or dance or chess club or some of them are getting their pilot's license, which is, are you kidding me? But anyway, and uh, all these things you have to do every day. And then you get them home, you bathe them, you try to give them some dinner. You get their homework done, you get them in bed, and, and this is what you do, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And I'm like, wow, it's a good thing you guys have weekend. Mm -mm. Now there's games, now there's recitals, now there's events, now there's birthday parties. They gotta go to the shooting range because they haven't been there for a while. They gotta go go-kart riding because it reminded me they haven't been go-kart riding. And they're going on and on. I'm like, I am freaking exhausted just listening to you guys talk about the business with your children. And this is what I thought as I was listening to them. At the end of the day, is it measurable? Is it memorable? I've talked to a lot of kids. You know what I've never heard a kid say? I've never heard a kid say, you know what? I wish I could have played more sports. Not when they become adults. You know what they'll say? I wish I had more memories of family time. You got to figure that out. You see, the greatest investment you can make as a parent, the greatest investment you can make as a spouse or a single adult, when it comes to your relationship with other people, is an investment in your relationship with God. Because when you begin to prioritize your life around those alone times with God, understand he builds your faith. And as we saw last week, and he gives you wisdom and insight and understanding. In the long run, that is the better thing. Those are the things that cannot be taken from you. I mean, that's going to be the foundation for every decision you make the rest of your life. It's the kind of thing that in the long run is memorable, measurable, valuable. So here's the big question. Will we continue to allow the business of our lives to squeeze out the better things? Or will we be like Mary and say, yeah, there's a lot of things I could do, and there may even be a lot of things to be done, but first things first, <laughs> Jesus is in the house. That doesn't happen every day. So he's gonna get my undivided attention because this is an opportunity. Who knows when it will come around again? Now, this is, this is what we're gonna talk about next week in case uh, you're gonna be at the beach. This is where we'll pick up. This is what Jesus says to all the busy people. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And all of these other things will be added unto you. In other words, Jesus says, give me some unrushed time. Give me some priority time. Give me some attention. Seek me first. Seek me first. Seek me first. And all of those other things that you think are going to fall apart. All of those areas where you think the world can't do without you. All of those areas where you think you're so important, but let's be honest, it's really where you get your self-esteem and your self-worth. Jesus says, if you'll just seek me first, if you'll just start there, 
all of those other things will fall into place. In fact, this is what we're going to learn next week. The solution to busyness is reprioritizing around intimacy with the Father. And here's the very best way I know to monitor how you're doing. If you're too busy to spend time alone with God, you're distracted. You're too busy. You've lost perspective, and and you no longer know what's important. You see, when Jesus says, seek me first, he's not saying other things aren't important. I think God gifted some of you to make money. He expects you to make money. But you know what Jesus says? If that's first, that's going to be a problem. Seek me first. Some of you are incredible administrators, and he expects you to use that gift. You like to reorganize and restructure, that's great. God's not saying not do those things. He's saying, just make sure you seek me first, and everything else will fall into place. And really, it comes down to, are we going to trust him or not? So if you're here and you're too busy, distracted, preoccupied to spend time with God, I think this is what, I think this is what God would say to you. He'd say, you're, like, you're, you're just like Martha. You think you really know what you need? You don't really know what you need. You, you've chosen the things that are temporary, but, but you've missed the opportunity to embrace the things and enjoy the things that cannot be taken from you. Next week, we're going to look at what we can do about our busyness. A few weeks ago, I was flying somewhere, and I was actually working on this message on the plane, and I got tired, and I wanted to close my eyes, and so I closed my eyes. I, I put my earbuds in. I was listening to some music, and it was the Eagles' Hell Freezes Over tour. That's great quiet time right there, by the way. That's, that's quiet time right there. But Don Henley sang a song, and as I listened to the song, I played it again, and then I played it again, and then I played it again. I took my earbuds out, and I told her, listen to this song. I said, honey, that's my message. So I've asked the band to wrap it up by doing it this weekend. So I'm going to pray, and then you'll hear the song. God, help us. Help us. We need help. Somehow, God, we, we need the, the scales that are blinding us to fall from our eyes so somehow we can begin to see life as you see it. Father, somehow help us to see ourselves as you see us. And we're going to need your wisdom, and we're going to need your insight, and we're going to need your understanding because often, God, we can't see it in ourselves. A lot of us, we don't even realize how busy we are. It's just life. It's just what life is. And yet you would love nothing more than for us to take a deep breath, step back, Slow down, be still, so that you could communicate with us, not just so that we can talk, but so that we could hear from you. Father, I'm just amazed every day when I spend that time with you. It just seems you teach me something new. Just this week, Father, as I was thinking through the people I'm praying for and for healing for emotionally and physically and and psychologically in some cases and And just reading through John 5, where Jesus said, do you want to be healed? And I realized I spent most of my life praying for healing. And maybe what I need to be praying for is the person have the desire to be healed. Because, Father, you'll do the healing when we desire it. Just teach us and be patient with us. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.